Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. My name is Brian Dawes. I'm Chris Delano. And I'm Carrie Thomas. And I'm back after, <laughs> <laughs> after a little bit of a breakaway. Cue the piano memes. Yeah. yeah I'm thinking. I've, I've retired the bin. I've retired it for good. You're never going to find another meme on there again until <laughs> until peer pressure gives in, you know? Um, I just think it's very fitting that we're back on Innistrad and the, the cast's ghost has joined us. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I, I've dipped off quite a few times at this point. But right now I'm back. Um, I'm back specifically for magic story articles because that's about as much magic as I can take right now. So I'll read these articles, I'll review them with the rest of the cast, and then be back by the next <laughs> be back by the next quarter or whatever the fifth term of quarter is, because we have a bonus set for Crimson Vow, so I'll technically be on those as well. Uh, well, uh, this week we are discussing Magic Story, and first, just a, a reminder of uh, the news. Uh, I mean, there's a set out, it's out on Arena, all that junk, but also... Uh, if you are listening today on Monday, last week was a weekly MTG with the authors, K. Arsenault Rivera and Sean and McGuire, uh, who did a really cool Q&A and talked about writing magic, and it was really neat. So you should go watch that VOD. It's actually, um, it's fun. It's mostly just questions from the audience. Uh, so lots of, lots of wild stuff. Uh, but this week, we are discussing the second main story, uh, The Motives of the Wolf by K. Arsenault Rivera. And the second side story, Sisters, by Eugenia Triantafilou. Triantafilou. Uh, sorry. Uh, not entirely sure how to pronounce that, but I did my best. That's all we can ask for. You can ask for more from me. I, I can do better, but um, <laughs> not right now. I just got back from a week-long vacation in Seattle. I'm not really sure what day it is. Um, <laughs> I don't know what time it is because i'm still on a three hour difference i'm a bit of a mess but it was a really great trip and i'm really glad i did it and uh, seattle is beautiful right now it's a great time to visit seattle um, definitely just glad a, you're back a, and i'm glad you had fun yeah so um do you want to get started with the motives of the wolf uh, unless anyone else has any other news or interesting magic tidbits they want to share for the week nothing no, nope <laughs> <laughs> All right, so The Motives of the Wolf by K. Arsenault Rivera. We last left off uh, with Arlen Cord meeting and speaking with Catilda, who is sort of this like lead warlock for the Dawnheart Coven. Uh, and the last story ended with a wolf howling in the distance and Arlen going, ah, yes, that's Tovalar. Uh, and I will tell more about him next time and flashback sequences. And that's what we got this week is a whole bunch of flashback sequences. Um, yeah, so so this story starts off with a flashback. Arlen is recounting uh, one of her first conversations with Tovalar about werewolves and humans and coexisting together in uh, the world. And Tovalar is just, he, he doesn't believe that. Yeah. Um, this is definitely like right after Arlen's very first transformation. So she's just experienced becoming a werewolf for the first time. Uh, and Tovalar is there. He He's like her pack leader now, kind of. He like joins her in this hunting. Uh, we go back to the present and we get reminded that Arlen and her pack are running off towards Tovalar. And then we go to a flashback again. And that sort of sets up like the first half of this story structure is just flashback to present bit to flashback to present bit. Um, and so Arlen in this flashback is remembering uh, what it was like being a child in her town on Innistrad. Uh, she mentions that no one there is very friendly to strangers. No one there is very friendly at all. They don't like when she plays music too loud. Uh, it's kind of insular and seems kind of mean. And uh, she finds some freedom in this pack that she's, now joined with Tovalar. Um, it gives her sort of an escape from this oppressive religious life that she's, well, oppressive religious town that she's living in. Uh, back in the present, she does some investigation um, and finds Tovalar and looks over him and also these other people gathered nearby and is like, hey, uh, you got some big friendly or big burly guys there. They are swole. They are very swole. Uh, Tovalar is... He says you came home and Arlen has a whole bunch of questions for him about who these people are because they're not all 
Mondronin. These are not like Tovalar's normal pack. Uh, she asks a bunch of questions and Tovalar just walks away and Arlen is compelled to follow. Uh, we get another flashback. Uh, Tovalar is showing Arlen some dead werewolf hunters. Uh, these are sort of like the impetus of Tovalar's argument that we're getting here is that uh, the humans and werewolves cannot coexist because the humans keep trying to kill the werewolves. Though the werewolves are going to kill the humans in return. Uh, Tovalar is tired of hiding from these humans and Arlen just wants to hide herself. She's enjoying this werewolf life, but she's not, she's a bit sickened by the murdering of humans and the gore that comes with that. Uh, back to the present, we sort of have the establishment of what Tovalar is doing. He shows Arlen that he's gathered this army of werewolves and Arlen notices like, these are not all Maldronin. They, they are different kinds of werewolves. They're all different sizes. Some of them are huge people who have not even transformed into werewolves, but already look big. Uh, and all of them are like super in love with Tovalar. They just like are ecstatic to see him. He is the center of their attention. Uh, he calls them his family and his new pack. And Arlen's wolves um, start kind of gravitating towards Tovalar too. Uh, Tovalar explains that they're going to take what's theirs and start their hunt. He sort of points out the bigger ones and calls them dyers. Uh, so these are confirmation that these are dire werewolves. Uh, and he mentions that they love hunting vampires, um, which is kind of cute, but also terrifying. I mean, we saw what happened in the first story to that vampire. Uh, Don't get cocky, kid. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he also doesn't shy away from hunting humans. Uh, it's pretty clear that these werewolves are much more aggressive than they used to be um much bigger and also like they're killing humans a lot more than uh might be necessary to survive um arlen says that all the humans want is a life without fear just like the werewolves uh but the were but tovalar says that she has too much church in her and too little wolf which i thought was a, a really um cutting statement to make yeah it, it's definitely one of those things where you you kind of realize that I almost think the Tovalar could have been Jund, but, you know, that's just my personal thing, because he, he seems like he's really out for himself, or he, he's not really caring about, I guess, if you think about it, he, he's he's focused on werewolf unity, not necessarily, it's kind of like an, an X-Men Xavier versus Magneto kind of thing. Yeah, that's uh, the Xavier-Magneto dichotomy a little bit, except... I think Magneto is totally in the right, and I think Tovalar is probably going a little too far here. Um, <laughs> I think Tovalar makes for, like, very, very clean red-green antagonists. Like, just for Innistrad as a setting, like, where we didn't really get much aside for Black being evil and White being good for pretty much the entire first set. And then the second set was kind of, like, you know, colorless evil but this time. But... It's interesting to get kind of um, a different take that isn't just going to be demons or something demon-related kind of antagonizing yeah. the plane. Yeah, Tovalar's thing is he keeps repeating that we can do whatever we want, uh, which I think the black slice of the color pie would be I can do whatever I want, but he's very much we can do we, whatever yeah. we want, very collectivist, very much the the werewolves have the power uh, and they are going to destroy the machinery of the humans, uh, quite literally, and not just in a vague reference to communism. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyways, uh, so uh, we get another flashback sequence, and Arlen is like coming home in the morning, probably like, I'm just imagining her walking in, and she's got like leaves in her hair and like mud on all of her hands and feet, and like looks like she's been running through the woods, and her mom is just waiting in the drawing room. And like crying and then her, her mom embraces arlen and she says where were you arlen they found four of our boys down the woods torn apart just like and like we just saw them in the previous flashback and i'm just like imagining like just arlen is just looks like a werewolf and is like uh uh just walking <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah she she doesn't tell her mom what's going on and uh probably for the best i guess because yeah. That's not going to be uh, a good uh, situation. 
Um, but she she does look around and sees all these like holy symbols that are hanging up around her house. We get a little bit of a earlier. We got some confirmation that Arlen's father was like a blacksmith and made weapons, but also made holy symbols. And so Arlen's house was just covered in you know the collar, uh, the thing that werewolves hate most, especially Avison's collar, uh, which is the symbol of her church. I did not know that. <laughs> um, so yeah, we get that. We go back to the present and. Uh, Arlen is like starting to shift and turn into a werewolf and Tovalar is just like smiling and he's enjoying this moment. Uh, Then another flashback to their first hunt with Tovalar. And then it was just the second hunt was Tovalar and a few others of the pack. And the third hunt, she was with the whole pack and she's like fully engrossed in this werewolf pack now. Um, And then she goes out hunting a white deer and she thinks she's going to get this white deer uh, and gets hit by a, a werewolf hunter's bolt. Uh, but the next thing she knows, uh, she's got their blood in her mouth, and they're all dead. And she's killed all of them. And you messed up, A.A. Ron. <laughs> I mean, this has got to be so traumatic, because like these are her childhood friends, and she's just murdered them. Uh, in self-defense. Uh, and then it's implied that she planeswalks. Um, it says she screamed then. That was that. Maybe. No, it's not there. Sorry. I'll edit that part out. Um, <laughs> I'm reading these stories to have. Anyways, uh, she then flashback to or flash to the present. Uh, Arlen decides that she wants to stop Tovalar. She swipes at him, but one of her own wolves like jumps between them and stops her. She like pulls back. Uh, and like all of her wolves have joined Tovalar except for Patience, who is a, a beautiful doll. But patience will also go eventually. Um, we get another flashback, and Arlen is like going to church and trying to be a good little Avicennian priest. She's, you know, not sure about the whole like angel thing right now, but she believes that people are powerful together. And she's like thinking about all of these fun times she's had with these members of the church. And then one day she goes to church and Tovalar shows up but not like evil werewolf mode. He just walks in and creepily like sits next to her and then leaves. And Arlen freaks out. And she decides that night that she's going to lock herself up entirely. She's going to surround herself with Abyssinian symbols. And she's going to try her hardest not to transform, but she fails and she planeswalks. And this is Arlen's first time leaving uh, Innistrad. So we get that story. That's, that's cool. Yeah. Um, so then uh, we we go into the, the present again. I don't know how to like, when you flash back, like that's a thing you do is you flash back to the past, but then when you return to the present, it's just, it's a lot less fun. Um, anyways, it's the present. Uh, Arlen decides that Patience can also join the rest of these hunters. Uh, she tells Patience to keep safe and she leaves and Tovalar transforms and she does not want to witness this because it's terrifying what Tovalar has become. Uh, and we're done with the flashbacks. We don't have any more flashbacks in the story. Uh, we get Arlen who runs back to Catilda and tells her that she will get the moon silver key. Uh, then the next morning, all of the witches join together and they summon their champions, which we'll learn more about later. But Arlen also summons her own champions and she runs to Ravnica and she looks for Jace and can't find him, uh, probably because we know that Jace is in a saltwater brine bath at that Temple of Healers. Uh, yeah, that's the comics. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which are not no, Actually, I think Jace is on Alara with Chandra right now, going through some trials. <laughs> oh, my oh, my God. God. Probably. <laughs> we, we don't know. Um, but she, she doesn't find runs Jace. Into everyone but Jace. Yeah. Uh, she doesn't find Jace. She finds Teferi, and Teferi is super nice, and he's also up to something, but doesn't go into detail about what that is, so probably Zalfir. Um, she talks with Teferi, who is kind, and offers her tea, and he listens. But he makes one joke about long nights, and Arlen is uh, it's a little too raw at I the guess. moment. Yeah. Um, and then they're interrupted by Chandra, who bounces down the stairs super fast and is super excited to see Arlen, and it's very cute. Uh, and then Kaya also shows up, and Arlen's like, all right, look at this. All the Planeswalkers, we, we run in packs, too. Um, it's very cute. This is her new pack. It's all Planeswalkers. Uh, then uh, they return to Innistrad, and all of these new Planeswalker friends meet Katilda, 
And Adeline, who is one of the champions of the Dawnheart Coven, uh, Chandra like immediately has a crush on Adeline and it's very cute. Uh, Arlen like uh, comments that Chandra would just do anything Adeline told her to do. Um, so hopefully we get more of that in future stories. I wouldn't know. I haven't read ahead. Uh, but they all agree that they're going to have to go get this moon silver key to join it with the sun gold lock and complete this ritual of the harvest tide to hopefully fix the time here on Innistrad. Uh, and that's where the, the story kind of leaves off. Uh, they're going to go to Thraben to look for this key and good luck to them because we've seen Thraben like twice in magic story. And the first time, it was being destroyed by an army of zombies and the second time an army of Eldrazi fighting an army of zombies. So it's probably not a nice place to be. Yeah, I can't imagine. So <laughs> um, thoughts on the story. Oh, it was good. Um, it, it definitely gave me a little bit of insight. I, I like the, the way that it basically frames the two aspects of Arlen's life that are kind of a, like strongly opposed, you know, her church life compared, her church like going human life compared to the wild rampages of a, a werewolf. And she tries to control the, the wild urges when she's a werewolf, but it, it's not something that is very easily done, especially under duress, like when the, the, the people shot at her, basically. And, you know, it gives you a little bit of insight as to how, like, Watching any kind of werewolf flick, you get that that feeling of how that works. But I, I like how they give her give us insight into her thoughts on the whole situation. And I also it I also liked the 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 way that they make Tovalar come across. Like we said, like the whole Magneto um, Xavier comparison was really was some like I, I really liked that kind of aspect of it um, between Arlen and Tovalar. Yeah, we we obviously know that uh, they're both right and also both wrong in the sense that uh, humans and werewolves cannot coexist very easily in the way that Arlen would like because uh, clearly we see the humans killing werewolves or at least trying to kill werewolves a couple of times in the story. And then Tovalar is like, well, we just kill all the humans. But I mean, we see Arlen having this human life with human people who do just want to live and survive. And it's not fair uh, for the werewolves to hunt them either. So it's you know it's a it's a little bit more uh, difficult than I think the Xavier Magneto uh, argument because Magneto has never done anything wrong. Uh, <laughs> ever. <laughs> I do feel like it's the perfect extrapolation of the original. Well, Arlen's introduction in the Shadows of Innistrad story. Like we got essentially two stories with her then. And one was her actual Planeswalker introduction, and the second one was the Archmage of Gold Knight, I think. And that was telling of her difficulties with the church and her church buddy finding out that she's a werewolf <laughs> and not wanting to work with her as a result. So we can see that there's difficulties on both sides of the issue where it's like the church and the humans obviously do not want to ally themselves with werewolves, and the werewolves certainly do not, under Tovalar, want to ally themselves with humans but under common threats be it the eldrazi or vampire weddings who knows <laughs> you will you'll end up having to work with each other and i think it's just like that conflict was introduced in her story and now we get a whole set exploring that conflict and a person who personifies the kind of natural freedom um survival of the fittest approach to werewolf independence and also Gatewatch coming back like i'm always in favor of that yeah we, have, we haven't seen them in a while for them to be actually recruited into a story is nice um i think it'll draw people back into trying to pay attention to the main thread that is um going through both midnight hunt and crimson vow and any set afterwards that involves the gatewatch i still strongly believe that they are a good binding glue for sets and especially after many many sets of or what feels like many many sets of kind of independent solo blocks that didn't have a lot of crossover between characters if you can have some kind of consistency there even if it's just the gatewatch showing up um upon summons to help solve a problem better off for it yeah we're we're kind of um 
I feel like this is them reminding us like, hey, the Gatewatch exists and you've seen these stories that are like standalone and maybe they're going to have a connection now that we're reminding you that the Gatewatch exists. Um, Do I think that Midnight Hunt or the conflict between night and day on Innistrad is related to any interplanar threat or longstanding um, mega arc in the story? Probably not. But also like, this is the kind of stuff we got with Kaladesh where it was like, we need you to help solve the problem on this plane. We're going to bring you in and you guys can help us figure it out. <laughs> yeah. And then Tezzeret's going to show up at the end of Crimson Vow and like crash the wedding. And that's how we're going to get the next story. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a lot better because it's like Arlen going to Jace's house instead of Dovin, who nobody likes and is dead. So rip. Except not because screw Dovin. I do not like him and I'm happy he's dead. Um, but this is not a Dovin bashing podcast today. This is a magic story podcast. And uh, yeah, I I thought this was great. The Motives of the Wolf was um really good short story. I like that it did give us sort of that background and also move the plot. So now it's like, hey, we had these like setups in the first story about like we're on an Estrad and things suck and there's something going on with the witches. And now it's like, all right, we've moved the plot forward. There's werewolves and they want to eat people. We've established the conflict. Witches want to dance and have a party. Uh, the werewolves want to eat them. Cool. Midnight hunt. We're here. <laughs> <laughs> Our second story for the week that we're going to discuss is Sisters by Eugenia Trantofalu. Uh, this is one of the side stories, so it doesn't actually uh, play into the main plot, but I think it had a lot of connections to it um, and definitely gave us a lot more background on the witches. So, uh, yeah, we have sisters. Uh, this story starts out with Lenore, who we know from the cards as Lenore Autumn Sovereign, and she picks up a dead snake and some ashes of a campfire. Uh, she thinks it's dead, at least. Um <laughs> But uh, her sister walks up, Cynia, and this is the second character of the story. Uh, this is the second sister, hence the name of the story. Uh, she shows up wearing a fox mask, and she says, "You put it down, and then Lenore looks at it, and it's like the snake is now wiggling around, and this is uh, creepy and gross. But she throws it away, it lands back into the ashes, and then just doesn't move anymore. Um, so yeah, here we have the two sisters. We have Lenore and we have Cynia. Uh, Lenore has, uh, she, she does what she can to, to keep people happy in Kessig in Innistrad where everything sucks as we discussed previously. Um, life is very tough here. There's all of these terrible things happening and Lenore is just a little light in the village. She brings people baked goods. She's a happy person, always makes people smile. And this is why she's sort of been tapped by the Dawnheart Coven to become the festival leader. She adds the festivity to the festival that they are planning. Um, the Dawnheart Coven came to their town and promised to bring the light back. And people have slowly started to think, hey, I mean, here are these creepy ladies coming from the woods promising us light. I feel like, you know, we could do worse. <laughs> yeah. You don't have many options on Innistrad. And like... Avison's gone and after trying to kill everybody. So they say they can bring light. Yeah, give them a shot. It's also like her job to keep them happy, which is like probably the hardest job that anybody's ever had on it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like keep the populace cheering while they're actively being devoured. Yeah. yeah. Whatever they're paying her, it's not nearly enough. Yeah, because like they're the, the Dawnheart Coven we've established is doing like a ritual at the Celestis, right? And they're doing this like harvest tide festival, and Lenore's job is to literally just like bring the food decoration and probably like drunk uncle as a DJ to this party to keep everything going. Like Lenore is the, the Martha Stewart of the harvest tide festival. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's a problem because people keep disappearing from the festival and like Lenore and Cynia are kind of trying to explain it away by being like, Oh, it's probably that they just like left, you know, they left the festival or, they're uh, going to come back in a few days or they get bored or something. Um, but it doesn't seem to be the case. Uh, Zinnia points out that like they left their packs. <laughs> um, they're investigating a tent where, 
Yeah, a, a man and woman had been staying the day before, and now they're gone, and their packs are still there, and it's getting harder to convince themselves that these people just, you know, wandered away or left or went home. Uh, you don't normally leave your pack behind when you do that. Uh, all their stuff is still there, and there's something else that was left behind this time. Uh, Lenore sees it, Sinia sees it. It's some sort of small, sinuous thing. Uh, Sinia picks it up, and it's a um, it's one of these festival masks. So, like, all of the witches and some of the townsfolk are, like, wearing these masks that are made of, like, sticks and skulls of animals and twine and all these things. Uh, you know, we, we see that uh, Catilda and her art is wearing this giant one that looks like antlers and a sunrise, and we establish Sinia is wearing one that looks like a fox. And this one they find on the ground looks kind of like a snake. It is a terrifying like mixture of bone and like wood that is like kind of sinuously snake-like and it has wooden fangs sticking out from under the eyes it is um not a friendly looking mask and lenore picks up on that and she tells sinia to put it down uh but sinia puts it on instead and tries on the uh the mask and lenore is very uncomfortable um yeah it's a it's a creepy mask and then uh Eventually, Sunia does take it off. Um, we learn also through a little bit of thinking about their past and their family that uh, Sunia and Lenore's mother was a werewolf, which is cool because we don't really see a lot of like the werewolves having had children in the stories. Uh, well, Sunia, yeah, we don't. I don't think it's ever confirmed that they had the. She was a werewolf before turning, like, or before they were born, yeah. like. So we don't know if. Maybe she was turned after they were born or not, but... We don't know, but it does make a point that technically, uh, as the story does cover in a little bit too, that werewolves do change from werewolf to human, werewolf to human. So we know Arlen was living a double life for a while as a member of the church and also a werewolf. For all we know, these um, uh, Lenore's and Sinia's mom was a werewolf who, from the moment they were born until they... uh, or from the moment they were conceived until they were born. So we know that she's like gone though. Um, because was she like, I believe she's turned into a wolfier from the curse mute and then just like wanders off. And they're like, cool, let's never talk about that. She was turned into a wolfier from the curse mute or somehow her werewolfy was like stopped because of the curse mute. But when the curse mute ended, she went rabid and ran off into the woods and never to be seen again, um, which is sad, but also like, I'm just wondering if she was a wolfier and if they were just like living their like life at home with like mom and dad, except mom is like a furry, you know, <laughs> does that wow. make the dad a furry too? Wow. Not where I was expecting that to go, but okay. <laughs> it's like the bit bad wolf, except instead of being dressed up as grandma, it just is grandma. Like the kids are just like, wow, mom, what big teeth you have um anyways uh lenore decides she's gonna talk to katilda about this mask and like the disappearances and so the next day she approaches katilda and these uh the the witches have been doing like they're not just like throwing a party they're doing like daily rituals and stuff as far as we can tell uh and so uh katilda is up there doing something lenore approaches and she sees that like the center of this ritual table is a bunch of human teeth which is even unsettling on an Estrad. Um, generally, the things that kill you don't take your teeth. So it's a little scary. Uh, and Katilda says that they are werewolf teeth, that these teeth came from werewolves that they, they had killed uh, and they turned back into a human and it's fine. It's not creepy. Don't worry about it. They're just using the wolfy power of the teeth. Um, still kind of creepy, Katilda, but okay. Uh, and it also, like, I, I think that's part of why they they introduced the fact that their mother was a werewolf because it definitely adds a little bit of um, worry on Lenora's part because, Hey, my mom, those, one of the, some of those teeth could have belonged to my mom. We'll never know, but it, it definitely adds a little bit of hesitance on her part to the story and gives her a reason to be hesitant about it. Even though just seeing human teeth in a pile is worrisome enough. Yeah, it's uh, it's creepy and worrisome. And also, uh, someone else thinks that, and it's this uh, dude bro hunter uh, who, his name is Jagger, first of all. Like, <laughs> <I wonder laughs> like he has some nice moves. 
Jagger is definitely a character name from like the top gun of Innistrad. Um, but Jagger is like this really annoying hunter who is apparently not very good at hunting because he's super loud. And he confronts the witches and is like, hey, hey, what did you do to people? I don't trust any of you witches. You bring us here. You ask us to help. And you don't tell us anything that's going on. And like a lot of these other festival goers join in and they're just like, we don't trust the witches. Where are the missing people? Why do you have a bunch of human teeth? Why do you think that's not creepy? Um, Lenore steps in. And even though she's also kind of like, yeah, what the hell is going on? She does stop them. It's like, you can't just accuse these witches. You don't have any proof. Jagger is just like, look at this. Their teeth on the table, Lenore, human teeth. And she's like, but they're here to help us. Um, Yeah, it's, it's not, she's not really in on it. She's also having these questions and she can't find her sister. It's very scary. Uh, Jag moving towards as if he's going to start fighting these witches. I don't think they're going to win. The witches are very powerful. Uh, but then Sinia shows up and she says, nobody is sacrificing people. And Sinia is no longer wearing her fox, her fox mask. She has put on the snake mask. She sort of comes out of the crowd and she starts just calming everyone down. Everyone just starts to like relax a little bit. And they all start looking at Sinia. She just puts everyone under a spell, probably quite literally. Uh, everyone starts agreeing with Sinia and following Sinia, and they start cheering for her. They start cheering, bring back the light. It becomes the Sinia show, and Lenora is super creeped out because this feels wrong. See, I want to say that Sinia was singing a song that we all know from this awesome movie from the 90s. I put a spell on you! (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they are sisters. (laughs) Um... God, so, I had to even put that part together. Good job. <laughs> um, so uh, later that night, Sunia comes to bed in the tent that she's sharing with Lenore, and she does the creepiest thing ever, which is where she comes in and she's like, oh, you, you're feeling things too? You're feeling the call of the coiled one? And Lenore is like, uh, 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 this is creepy. Um, Sinia is just like, the Coiled One has spoken to me today. The light will return to Innistrad. And then Sinia just kind of lays still on the bedroll. The mask's still in place. She's not sleeping. And Lenore is just hanging out in the tent with this woman who's just laying on the ground wearing a mask, waiting. It was super creepy. Um, two nights later, uh, everyone at this festival has just fallen in love with Sinia. She has become the belle of the ball. She is attracting everyone's attention she is making people vomit snakes which we know is like the coolest thing to do at any party Um, yeah sure yeah it's super creepy she's just making people vomit snakes um and no one seems to be too creeped out by this uh lenore follows sinia in the night because it turns out sinia is sneaking away and that's when she finds her uh dragging some dude like a limp raccoon is I think the way it's described in the story. Um, so he just carries, she's a God, what is it? Um, I'm trying to find the exact, uh, she held a man by the throat as easily, as easily as if he was a dead raccoon, uh, raccoons confirmed on Innistrad. Also, apparently they get dragged around by the throat while they're dead a lot. Um, wow. Uh, the next creature type that they're adding raccoon gonna, gonna go up there with the, uh, the mice and now guinea pigs or hamster that they've added. Um, it better be a red creature that rummages. That's all I got to say. Uh, raccoons are black and white. <laughs> oh. Anyways, Sinia throws a guy in an egg. That's the thing that happens in the story. Um, she just tosses this guy in this giant glowing egg. And then uh, Lenore is creeped out as she should be. And there's another woman present and Lenore can't really see her that well. But Sinia is uh, being super creepy and dragging people into eggs. So I don't blame her for not paying too close attention to this other woman. Uh, Then Lenore feels someone next to her and it's Catilda. Catilda is there and she covers her mouth so that she can't scream. And she's like, don't worry, don't move. Here she comes. And then Catilda readies her staff and Sinia is walking nearby and Catilda goes to shoot Sinia and Lenore stops her because Lenore is smart and wants to save her sister, who's a creepy snake lady now. Um, yeah, Katil gets really upset 
Uh, and then we have what is like a really quick sequence of sequence of events that are all very creepy, right? So this woman steps forward from the shadows and she reveals herself. She is Sarith. She is this snake lady who knows Katilda somehow, but we don't know a lot from the story about how they are at all related to each other. Uh, Katilda is like, we have to stop your sister. We have to stop Sinia. She's wearing the mask. If she's consumed by, she is consumed by it. There is no hope for her now. We have to stop her. Uh, the ground starts trembling. Uh, Sarith calls forth the coiled one. And so the ground opens up and this giant like writhing snake starts coming out of it. Uh, as this happens, Sarith and uh, Katilda start to get into a fight. Um, Sarith throws some magic at them. Uh, Katilda starts fighting back. Sarith is creepy. Uh, Lenore sort of sees Sinia and is like, all right, I have to go stop her. She only gets one chance, though, or else Katilda's just going to kill her. So Lenore runs over, and Sinia is just entranced by this giant snake that's coming out of the ground. Uh, she seems totally, like, fixated on it. She doesn't seem scared. She seems in ecstasy, which is creepy. But she does whisper, help me, just a little bit, so Lenore can hear it. Uh, there's a fight scene happening. There's all this back and forth with... Uh, Katilda and Sarath, where Katilda's throwing dirt at Sarath, and Sarath is throwing snakes at Katilda because she's kind of like a one-note villain. That's like the one thing she does. <laughs> um, that's really all she got going for. Uh, there were vines that looked like snakes. I think they turn into snakes, right? Right? No, they're just like snakes. But still, it's all very one-note. She's a snake lady. We get it. Uh, then, as Lenore is like trying to to stop Sinia, she starts pulling her away, and Sinia is like kind of going with her like she can't she's not really fighting back but the mask just won't come off of Sinia's face Lenore is like trying to peel it off but it has fused itself to her skin um the ground starts shuddering and then the snake comes out and its mouth opens and it's just ready to swallow both uh Sinia and Lenore um Lenore doesn't really know what to do this mask isn't coming off but then Sinia whispers to her again rip it off so Lenora reaches over and she grabs the mask and feels that connection between the mask and her sister's skin and then works a fingernail underneath it and pulls off the mask. And I'm imagining a lot of skin with it. Ugh. She pulls and she pulls and she yanks on it and she finally pulls the mask off entirely uh, and it turns back into like sticks and leaves. It's not this like snake face that it had become. Uh, Sinia is safe. And the coiled one disappears back into the ground. Uh, Lenore just throws the mask into the hole as it starts closing. She grabs Sinia. She starts pulling her back towards the festival. Katilda joins them. All these other people start tumbling back into the festival grounds who had gone missing, wondering, like, what day is it? How did I get here? Does anyone else have a craving for eggs? Um, <laughs> nobody <laughs> is vomiting snakes anymore. Uh there's no weird rumbling underground. And that's the end of the story. Everyone lives happily ever after. It's really like, that's, yeah, that's it. Uh, we don't really know what happened with Sarah. They don't really say if she lived or died or anything. Um, we don't know what the connection is between Katilda and Sarah, other than Katilda knew what was happening. Uh, and that's the monster of the week, I guess. Rar or hiss. Hiss, hiss, boo. Um, no, I thought the story was great. It was super creepy. Uh, like, you really yeah. should read it. I can't give it justice without just reading text to you about how creepy this like encounter at the end with the coiled one is and how creepy Senia is throughout the whole story. Yeah, like the 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 way that um Eugenia adds all these little details that make your skin crawl as she describes little like the the feeling that um Lenore has when she's when she's talking to her sister after having the mask is just like you really need to read the story because it, it like there's little bitty things that just make you you know that something's off but it just makes you feel a certain way and it's we can't really do it justice here without you reading the actual text it's yeah I think this is like magic side story at its finest it is it gives me the same feelings as like the Get Rog Monster story did in Shadows Over in a Block, where it's like not entirely related to the thing at hand, not directly playing into the main plot events or necessarily the main characters outside of Katilda, but 
it gives you like an interesting bite of what is happening on Innistrad. And it also like kind of the obvious conclusion that a lot of people would come to with Innistrad is like if werewolves and vampires are fighting and both seem to take advantage of the night, then there are going to be some other monsters who are going to offer you false promises of bringing the day just so that they can uh, surface for a little bit and have people stuffed in eggs for some reason. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think the point was that the coiled one would eat the eggs, but like... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know know if they were going to be eaten or if they were going to be reborn as snakes. Like, that's that's the vibe that I got. It's It's still just like a very compelling mystery that has a twist in it and like gives you a different perspective than is being explored in the main storyline of or the main episodes of magic story which for that i appreciate it because like extremely well written like probably one of my four one of my favorite in a straw magic stories yet so yeah it yeah. just re-emphasizes the fact that i never want to live on an Estrad, ever under no circumstances yeah it really does seem like the decidedly worst plane to just <laughs> happen to be born on. Yeah, I don't I don't ever want to live on an Estrad. No matter how much I love it, like please, I don't ever want to live there. I don't want to visit. Uh I don't want to get put in an egg. I don't want to be egged. <laughs> I don't want to be egged for a giant war god. I just don't. The um, only missing opportunity and I hate to be somebody to like punch up the story like this, but if Sinia had said like whispering to um lenore in that final scene like somebody stop me then i think you would have you would have come come full circle with the mask you know oh my god oh god that one's like why are you like this (laughs) that is a a deep part of my psyche that i'd forgotten of um you've just broken see but this is like a a infinitely better cursed mask story than (laughs) than the actual mask was it is funny that the mask does turn back into wood in both cases yeah i'm just saying maybe would have maybe was inspired by the classic the mask um i loved it i thought it was super creepy and i think that uh the the main story has not felt much like a horror novel or horror story Um, which I think is intentional. And they talked a little bit about it on the weekly MTG uh, this past week. Uh, one of the questions for uh, Kay was, is this a, a horror story or is this a fantasy story? And Kay said, this is a Gothic story. Um, so it's a little bit of both. And so it's not super scary. And then I read sisters and I'm like, this is yeah. creepy. This is scary. Um, I think it's great. I think it's a really good job. I hope we get more like this. Yeah, I think the magic story for this set, and I'm guessing continuing into Crimson Vow, um, like both the main story and the side stories have been exceptional. Um, it is it is a true return to form for a magic story, both <laughs> having the gate watch as characters people will actually pay attention to, and having an interesting and compelling on-plane mystery for them to solve, and also like being accessible to everybody through the web fiction so yeah and one thing we haven't really talked about that much is the fact that we do get this main story on wednesdays and the side story on friday um and so it's not like in the past with magic weekly story where sometimes you just get the story of the week and it has nothing to do with the main plot of the set it's just like a side little visit to like see what the monster of the week is up to um and then it's over and it's like, cool, I don't get to know what's going on with the main story until next week. Uh, but now it's like, guess what? You get the main story every week and the cool side story. So, yeah, it's great. It, I'm I'm interested to hear what people think about that, because like I know a lot of people were very, very hellbent on having one story a week and you kind of got it drawn out over usually a dozen weeks during like, like the main part of the new era. Um, so you would get stuff like... Uh, the Gitrog monster interspersed with what people are actually doing on Innistrad as the Gatewatch. But also, like, I don't know. We just live in, and I'm sure we'll get into this if we ever do a State of the Story episode, but we just live in, like, such a faster-paced magic product environment where it's, like, even five weeks seems like you are overlapping with two different products that are assuredly Mm. going to either start previews or have released within that window of those five weeks of the story releasing. So... It's just 
an entirely different world and like this is magic story doing its best in that is it catching on with fans is this something that's popular with people or would they rather have magic story for midnight hunt going well into other preview seasons or having started earlier it's a lot to balance so i like it as is i liked the way it was before i'm just happy we have story so yeah i could see it definitely being a an issue for some people because like uh this is a lot to read in a short period of time, so it could be very difficult for some people to keep up. And I know that that is uh, definitely true for at least me. I read the stories once a week when we talk about them on the podcast. And as of talking right now, we have four weeks of main story and I think a fourth side story coming out uh, tomorrow. And I'm like, I've only read the first two weeks of story now, and it's going to be a long time before I finish all of them. Some people are going to be done with all the story by next week, and they're going to have several weeks off with no story. So it's, uh, I don't know, I like how it is. I like having this set up like this, because sometimes you don't really care that much about the main story, and reading the side story is great. Uh, and sometimes you really only care about the main story, and you don't have to read the side stories. Yeah, and I also like want to eventually kind of get a reading on who is absorbing the story only through story spotlights and what necessarily they're missing from that's explored in the main story, like what things mm-hmm. they just wouldn't know about. Because like we even saw in Strixhaven, like people do not know Will lost a leg. <laughs> that is <laughs> yeah. that is a thing that happened, and nobody will know until there's another Will Kenrith Planeswalker card, and it doesn't have a leg, like or has a um, prosthetic leg in that case. But it's just like there are going to be elements of the story that are just kind of entirely skimmed over in favor of story spotlights or like just how much general awareness there is to both the story existing and the broader strokes of it so more stuff to talk about in coming weeks (laughs) yeah uh for now how about we do final thoughts um brian do you have a final thought um gosh i'm not used to going first with this uh i guess my final thought is that uh Packers might not have their starting left guard or left tackle Sunday, and I'm worried because our defense looked like a sieve. So we'll see how that works out. But uh, go Pack Go, and uh, hope to have a good game with the 49ers that uh, has no injuries, but we'll see. Well, the good news is that if this episode is premiering on Monday, uh, so your game has already been played, and congratulations, the Packers won. It was, uh, it was a really good game. Um, oh, awesome. Thank you, Chris. i will not be editing this podcast to change that prediction so uh hopefully it uh ages well um my final thought is that i spent a week in seattle and it was really cool and i went to a game store called um uh phoenix phoenix games i think uh it's in seattle it's in the capitol hill neighborhood it is an incredibly nice game store i really appreciated it i went there and played in the pre-release for midnight hunt uh got my butt beat pretty hard i was not very good um uh but yeah phoenix comics and games as one of our live listeners has uh, reminded me and uh the cool thing about their pre-release is i had to prove i was vaccinated uh it was only three rounds and there was like a couple of dozen people maybe in the whole pre-release it was very small So it was just very nice to like play a comfortable pre-release where everyone is wearing masks. Everyone has proved they're vaccinated. Uh, We all get to like hang out and explore Midnight Hunt together. Uh, The set was really fun to play. Cards were really cool. uh, And I lost a whole bunch. But otherwise, yeah, if you're in the Seattle area and you're thinking of a game store to stop by, uh, Phoenix Comics and Games right near the train station. So like super accessible. Definitely recommend it. See, I think I actually went there. (laughs) <laughs> I'm trying to remember. I've been to Seattle probably exactly once, and I'm pretty sure I did stop there because um, a mutual on Twitter had recommended it. There's also a really good Greek restaurant like right down the street. That's where it's at. I got some delicious Greek fries. So good. Um, my final thought is that I'm back on the cast, and I'm back doing magic story stuff, and I have every single magic-related word muted on Twitter because it's the only way that I can not see anything. I have secret lair muted. I have MTG. I have Planeswalker names muted, so that I just don't see anything. And it is bliss, because I just get to be a nobody who reads Magic Story and only has to absorb this story. <laughs> so, <laughs> which is refreshing for me. Um, but 
I'm catching up on my website, mtglore.com, and trying to get that search updated with approximately one year of story that I haven't touched. Um, but yeah, aside from that, just just storing away at my own pace. So yeah, well, uh, thank you for coming back on the podcast, Gary. Um, always happy to have you. Also, uh, if you are happy that Carrie is back on the podcast and you want to tell them that you're happy, uh, you can tell tell them in our Discord server. You can drive to my house in Cleveland, Ohio. I am. In- <laughs> <laughs> You can also do that. I mean, I'm going to do that this weekend. Fuck. Um, <laughs> I am not. Yeah, don't come to Ohio. It's a bad choice. Uh, no, I would never <laughs> go to Ohio. Um, no one's, no one should live there. Uh, but yeah, if you want to tell Carrie that you're happy that they're back, uh, you can do that on the Discord server because they won't have all of your like screen names muted and blocked like on Twitter. Um, oh, it's not individual screen names, but yes. Come talk to me on the Discord server. I will be uh, very happy. Which you can access by joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash thevorthoscast. For $1 a week, you get access to our Discord tent server where Vorthoses from around the world are discussing the Midnight Hunt story and pre-release and how smooth that transition was. Um, they are not discussing that. For $3 a month, you can join our live listen cast, our live listen tier, where you get to listen to us record the podcast every week. Uh, and you can hear all the mistakes we made and like the breaks we took and listen to us chat about terrible time travel plot movies um, before we start recording. So if you're interested in that, that's patreon.com slash the Uh That would be really awesome and we'd really appreciate it. And uh, we're supposed to end this podcast somehow, but it's been a really long time since we've not had Jay or Lorelai on the cast. So how do we end it? Thank you, you did for see me the anti Jay. Because <laughs> I you happen to be. <laughs> <laughs> Please get us out of here, Brian. Thank you all for listening. This has been the Warthos Cast. <laughs>